Hi, and welcome to Mouse Chat. I'm Lisa, and joining me, I've got Steve, Chris, Sharpie, and Lauren. Hello. Hey, how are you? Howdy, Lisa. Hello. Hiya. Hiya. Uh, today, we also have a special guest. We have Bob Berenick. He is, he's just all over Disney. This is awesome. He is an Imagineer. I guess has his, his little thumbprint and fingerprint all over the parks, many parks, many projects. Welcome, Bob. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be speaking with you all. We're so happy to have you because you have done so many incredible things. And anything involved in making magic, we're excited about. Well, so I was watching the news and, and, and Bob is building. He's doing like everybody's dream. He's building his own amusement park. And then I, then I found out he was a past Imagineer. And then I started looking at all the projects. I'm like, we have to have him on mouse chat. <laughs> so, so that's how we I got I really here. appreciate you reaching out. So Bob, how did you get started? I mean, I worked at Disney and, and when you're there, you're like, I want to be Imagineer, but you like have no idea what field to be in or how you go from, you know, working the front desk or working in the parks to actually coming up with designing the parks and getting into, you know, costuming and, and theming. And how, how did you, how did you first start into the career? I knew at 10 years old exactly the job I wanted because I got the making of the Pirates of the Caribbean book that showed all the guys with their white shirts, little thin black ties, and they were working on models and doing artwork. And it's like, that's the job I have to have. And so I just dedicated myself to it at 10 years old. (laughs) That's impressive. Really funny. Well, and of course, I'm an old guy, and there wasn't anything around then that was theme park university. I mean, Walt Disney was the only theme park university at the time. And I went to school, and like everybody else in the industry, worked through parks, operations, and so forth, all the way up through the ranks. My personal home park was Frontier Village in San Jose, California. So that's where I, I started running the train and sweeping out the general store and doing all these things. And I made this neat little model of the train station at Frontier Village and I ran it upstairs to Laurie Hollings, who was the park designer. And he was impressed enough to hire me on his art staff. So went from there. Oh, that's cool. Taking initiative. So yeah, how did, what I was, was your... dedicated, like so many of us are, right? So what was your first, I guess, Disney project that you got onto and how did you end up getting from doing that train model over to the Walt Disney Company to just start doing stuff there? Well, I had, I had had, my goodness, 10 years or more, 12 years of other things. And a lot of it is Gary Goddard. I've had uh, a fun time working with Gary forever. I mean, way back when Gary started, I thought he was ancient. It turned out he was only a couple of years older than I was, but um, we did a lot of jobs. <laughs> and then uh, at the time, Disney uh, was starting to gear up for Disneyland Paris. And so they, they brought in some key people and, and I was one of them. Eddie Sato was, uh, was hired pretty much the first time I was. And uh, we got Disneyland Paris going. There was a, probably a core group of, I don't know, 25, 50 people. 
the first job I did at Disney was actually very interesting because it was for George Lucas. It was uh, George. They just signed a contract with George to use Star Wars and Indiana Jones. And so they were developing Star Tours. They had already committed to the simulator motion base, but we were we were pitching him ideas for Tomorrowland. And, and some of you may have seen the model that I did of the spaceship that was a conversion of the carousel theater. And I uh, got to meet George right off the bat. Wow. And he was like, hello, Mr. Lucas. How are you? <laughs> Amazing. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Now, Chris, pretty cool. Chris on the show loves the Carousel of Progress. So you can't, I don't think you can convert the Carousel of Progress into a, to a Star Wars spaceship. It should be very it, upset. It was long gone by then. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm talking oh. Disneyland, California. Oh, okay. So Carousel of Progress. Oh, it's, when they, clearly, it's definitely yeah. one of the better attractions. Yeah. You know, when I was working at WDI, it was the most requested attraction by guests to return. Wow. They got more letters for Carousel of Progress. Please bring it back. Oh, I can imagine. I, I mean, there's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of nostalgia factor there. You bet. Literally. It was a great show. It was, it was yeah. innovative, a breakthrough. It was, it was genius. But that's Walt Disney. So you, you have met Walt Disney in your day. No, I did um, not. I did oh, not. you didn't meet him. Didn't. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, no, no. I wish, I only wish. So what are some of the other Imagineers that you had worked with? Well, um, primarily my career was with Tony Baxter, but, uh, a lot of, you know, at the time that I hired into, it was still led was before it became Imagineering. Everybody was there, Claude Coates, um, <clears throat> and all of them. And, you know, I'd worked with many of them, uh, Mark Davis, Herbie Ryman, when I was with Gary Goddard, because Gary had, had brought them into his projects, too. So I, I was luckily, lucky to work with all of as them. As far as your career goes that you learned from Disney. I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. As, as far as like, like her, the longevity of your career, looking at the span of your career, what do you think the biggest lesson is that you learned from, from working, working at the Disney company? Well, it's all about giving up, giving everything you've got, your passion and, and your soul to an idea and, and pushing that idea, developing it and never giving up. It's, it's a story that I like to you know, when I talk to uh, the next generation and, and a lot of students and people that are, you know, fortunately, that there's still a lot of interest to get into this industry and carry the torch forward. And my number one message is never give up. Keep trying. Keep pushing. Keep dreaming. Keep creating. Keep building. And I learned that at Disney. I learned it with Gary Goddard. Now, are there challenges, I guess? So when you say never give up, like when you're working on some of these projects, do they start out like this grand blue sky idea sometimes and then maybe get whittled down because of cost restrictions or budgets or or other ideas and you're, you're kind of Almost fighting? Always. Yeah. That's, that's a very typical situation. And what most guests don't know is the politics behind things. and. Um, I'm not going to get into any ugly stories on that, but it, it, it tends to beat people down. And, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of people have tried and, you know, there's infamous stories about Western river expedition and all kinds of things. And, um, it's, it's an internal struggle to get approval and to get 
get the development to proceed. Indiana Jones, for instance, was something that I started working on in my garage. And it took nine years to get that thing built. It took five or six years to get it funded. And it was the interesting thing about it is that the Walt Disney Company already had a contract with George Lucas to use the property, to use the IP. So it was more a, a, a challenge about defining what the attraction was, how big it was, you know, and where it would be. And ultimately it became the Indiana Jones adventure, which is something I'm very proud of. It's a very cool attraction. Very, very interesting ride system. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We keep, we're, we're over at the, we're at the Disney world uh, coast a lot more. And then when we get over to Disneyland, we love, we love that ride. And then we, we ride dinosaur and we're like, oh, <laughs> we wish yeah. we had Indiana well, Jones. You know, and it's also in Tokyo Disney Sea. Oh, the Indiana Jones is? Right. Oh, wow. Right. Now, what? Uh, can I? Mm-hmm. Later, Disneyland California was the, the breakthrough there. That's a splash. That's another one that I got to work on with Tony and company. That was the first one for California. Can I, can I ask a question? What, um, what did you major in to become an Imagineer? Well, my primary major is art, but I ended up taking about five different majors and I ended up going to school probably three times longer than anybody else because I was (laughs) taking theater. I was taking architecture because I wanted to learn how to do drawings and read drawings to get things built. And I even took um, industrial arts because my particular passion is model building and industrial arts classes taught us how to use tools and equipment and materials and so forth. So hmm. it was, it was a lot of school, but I, I, you know, again, I was focused I was like, I'm, I'm determined to be an Imagineer one day. <clears throat> and I took all these jobs that worked towards it. You know, they were all very understanding and patient and, and uh, it's, it's certainly worked out. It's a career I'm very, very proud of. Nice. It's funny because What's your... and okay. it's not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny because once in a while, someone will come to us and ask, what advice do you have for getting into this position? Whether it's being an engineer or someone wants to get into costuming or someone wants to get into animation and it's good information to have to know you've got to be pretty darn diverse in your education to become an Imagineer. You do. And then the other little secret and and the thing that I, the message I try to get across is for all students to focus, to really concentrate and be passionate and excel at one particular skill, because then you become a commodity. You become the best. You're, you're known as the best at, in my case, it was dimensional design. And so you start working through the ranks and getting, you know, the, the job opportunities and so forth. But you being a master of all trades is also a good thing because then you can walk and talk and work all the different angles. Nice. I have a daughter that wants to be an Imagineer. And, and she needs to discover what her true passion is right away. And I'm, I'm guessing it has something to do with drawing yep. and to draw and keep drawing. Draw, draw, draw. Good advice. Draw some more. It's probably true of any career, but certainly theme park entertainment. I mean, it's, it's all about 
being the best at something and becoming a commodity. It's good advice. So when one of these projects comes along, is it, you know, they kind of get together and brainstorm and then they do a storyboard and then when it finally gets approved, they get into the modeling phase or what's, what's kind of the high level flow of it that's that's the very frequent use of it it lots now imagineering i think is a little different than it was when i was there i i, I retired from imagineering in 1999 after tarzan's treehouse and we um in our little camp were known for creating ideas that weren't sanctioned they they weren't authorized but we were pushing things and trying to you know we would do artwork we would do some site layouts and some model work to, to, to get that wow factor to excite corporate and get them to fund the development. So I think now it is, as you described, more of a top-down mandate. And uh, brainstorming is absolutely a key part of it. Some of the, the greater ideas and uh, folks that, that are very concept-oriented will sit in a room and throw out stuff, write cards and do sketches and hash it out and somebody will be challenged and tasked with the job of developing it to the next step. And I mean, you were part of the design for Epcot. <clears throat> Anything I was part of the renewal project. Okay. Which, you know, about 10 years after Epcot opened, all of the sponsorship contracts ran out. And so it was a case of either finding different sponsors or re-signing sponsors. So we had to, to go into all the major pavilions and update them. Okay. And, and it was, it was uh, kind of, I would consider it a set dressing, just kind of a, a concept overdressing. But the, the neatest part about that project for me is I got to work with Roly Crump, who is absolutely a true hero of mine. I mean, I've, I fell in love with Rolly's work ever since I saw the Tower of Four Winds for um, the New York World's Fair. And and then I, I eventually got to work with him for a couple of years. And what a delight. And he's everything you can imagine. He's, we all, everything you see with Rolly in his interviews and his books, and it's, it's Rolly, it's, it's pure, true Rolly. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. So your experience with Epcot before uh, and no, knowing that a renewal of Epcot is once again on the horizon. What are some of your thoughts on what direction you would personally like to see Epcot take? Well, I'm encouraged because the wonderful thing about Walt Disney Imagineering is it doesn't matter who the personalities are. Um, there will be innovation. There will be breakthroughs. I mean, that was, that was Walt's thing. He, he was so far ahead of his time. Um, I'm, I personally am, not a uh, a true fan of Marvel. I don't know the Marvel properties, but I have a lot of confidence in Imagineering to develop those on a level that people can't even imagine. And, and I think they're going to raise the guest expectation because they're going to get the people in to work on it that really know what they're doing, know all about the IP. And and I, that's that's how I feel about the the next version of Epcot. I, I don't know the individuals involved, in it, but I have a, a strong confidence that what they're going to do is going to be something beyond what any of us can imagine. It always is. Well, yeah. and their that's, next that's that's the brilliance of Disney. Now, their next thing they have coming up, which isn't just a 
well, hopefully it should soft open here pretty soon, is the uh, Pandora, the world of Avatar. Avatar. So what, what yeah. any, yeah. any thoughts on that or any, any inside? Well, I, I know for a fact they've got the right guy. It's, it's the perfect Joe Rody project. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that he's developed, you know, again, I'm, I, I'm only speculating because I haven't worked on that project, but uh, knowing Joe, because I did get to work with him a little bit on Pleasure Island and, and some other earlier jobs before he actually built Animal Kingdom, he is the right guy for that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm probably more excited about the world of Avatar than any of the projects coming out. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. And here it is. It's like right around the corner. We're two months away. Now, I just wanted to take a quick trip to Disneyland Paris because there's some things that are over there that I think are kind of unique. Or, and I think you did some, did yeah. you, you did some stuff over at um, uh, Tokyo Disneyland also, but none of us, none of us have ever, ever gotten to yeah, get over. Yeah, we can't relate to that. <laughs> we, we're, we always want to go, okay. but, but it's hard to get over there. Um, so what, what was your favorite project over there, over at Disneyland Paris? Well, it has, has to be Phantom Manor because that's where I spent most of my time. But since I was early on, I was the model builder for all of Frontierland. And uh, we had a very lean and mean crew. Uh, it was Jeff Burke and Ahmad Jafari and certainly Tony, who was over the whole park. So we had a ball because what we were doing was taking all these wonderful properties and moving them around and giving them the right scale and, and real heavy on the art direction. And I, it's something that I'm very proud of. I, I think everybody on the team is proud of that. Yeah. I saw Phantom Manor. I love, and I love that that parks is huge. And I, and they just finally put a bunch of money into it and redid uh, Thunder yeah. Mountain. It just reopened. Um, yeah. And I was there right before it went down for almost a year to redo it all. Um, so now it looks from the photos and stuff I've seen, it looks like it's back to its original state and it looks amazing. It's getting there. Yeah. And then they're well getting ready underway. for the, their 25th. Um, and Phantom Manor, I mean, so it, it's like the Haunted Mansion, but they've it's like taken to the next level is what it looks like yeah. you guys did there. Well, and, and we had the, uh, the luxury of the Wild West being very popular in France when we were designing it. At the time, it was Euro Disneyland. That was the official name of it. It became Disneyland Paris. But um, the one rock-solid concept was Frontierland. And so it was a no-brainer. And we were able to take the Haunted Mansion and turn it into the Old West. And the, the, the wonderful opportunity we had there is we could pay tribute to Mark Davis in the Western River Expedition. That's what we tried to do with the finale. Cool. I want to take us in a completely different direction, and I want to talk about your new project, Whirly Gig Wood. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. Well, thank you for that. I, I'm excited because we're in Georgia. You guys are like a hop, skip, and a jump. I'm all about new parks. We are. And I, I, I'm absolutely stunned that somebody hasn't done something in this region. Um, we have our share of family entertainment centers and water parks. And, and as far as major regional theme parks, everybody in Raleigh seems to go to Bush Gardens Williamsburg, which I love because I got to work there several times, and, and Carowinds. And, and Dollywood is another jewel. And, but they're quite a drive. And so 
what we are trying to create is the mom and pop family theme park, if you will. We're we're trying to be the premier location for children's birthday parties and company group picnics and so forth. And it's all about you know the the fun in the the wilderness. It's the trees and the the charm and the scale and the beauty. And it's very very whimsical. Have you ever been to Knobles Grove or or Knobles? I have. Uh, that is a, a treasure a treasure of a park. Yes, I love it. I love it. The the real inspiration for Whirligate Woods, of course, was Frontier Village, the park that I grew up at, and all the attractions are very original, but they're very simple. They're they're um, you know, like a jet star coaster and a, and an electric car ride, but they're heavily themed and, and storytelling experiences. So rather than being big on the technology and there's not very little media in it at all, it's, it's mostly outdoor kind of fun experiences. And they're, I'm basically recreating my childhood with, with tree houses and haunted houses and train rides and, Kind of the overall theme is a Rube Goldberg kind of fun thing with gizmos and contraptions and stuff. There's a lot. There's going to be a lot of original stuff in it, but I need to manage expectations because it's a very small park. It's 21 acres, and it'll have 25 attractions in it. Well, very and, very low capacity. And I'm I'm fantas I'm I'm just fascinated by the in park tree houses. Is that because yes, everyone always says, our, I want to stay in the Magic Kingdom? <laughs> it's essentially our castle. You know how Disney has castles in the middle of the park. We have a cluster of tree houses, and they're all themed. They're all different themes. Um, we've designed about four or five of them. It, we could maybe double that depending on the demand. I'm, I'm understanding the demand's going to be quite high on it, but What's really neat about it is it's integrated into the park experience so that if you are a registered guest, you you come to the front of the park with all the other guests that day. Your luggage is taken and you you enter the park and spend your day in the park at one of our anchor attractions is the Whirligig Woods Railroad, which gives you the grand circle tour of the park where you see all the lands and all the major attractions. And you have your own private depot where you disembark and you're met by a hospitality host and they take you to your tree. That's pretty neat. Oh, that's and then cool. you have full, full run of the park that day and the next day, of course. How many are going to be in there? Three houses. We, we're starting with five. Well, actually we're probably only starting with one, but then we'll we've designed five. We may get up to maybe twice that. It, the thing is it's only 21 acres and I, I want to keep, most of it virgin wilderness. I mean, it's this, I, I want to fondly be known as the tree project. Um, one of my frustrations with Raleigh and, and the area in general is that they tend to clear cut everything when they, when they do development, they'll just take all the trees out and they'll level the ground to grade. And so what we're doing is we're creating this environment that's very immersive, but we're using the natural landscape, the topography, the streams, the trees, and it's going to be a thing of beauty and it's actually going to honor the old growth trees. Are you, are you like a great place? It's going to be charming and it's, and it's going to be very family oriented and very intimate. I call it a boutique theme park. It's a very specialty. It's not a, it's not a big deal. And yet it is. 
Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's just on, on a scale, it's not a big deal, but it seems mm-hmm. to be gaining popularity. Okay. So are you conquering this alone or are you partnering with anyone? What? Oh, no. We have financial partners. Well, I'm at planning partners, people, do you just wake up one day and say, I'm going to build a, a park or how does that work? Well, that, no, it goes all the way back. I mean, you know, all through my career, we used to joke, everybody in the industry that's ever worked with me has fondly called it Bobland. I've, I've always <laughs> Bobland. Um, and I think some people took me seriously and some people didn't, but that was the ultimate goal is it, it, it's really kind of that circle where you start in something and then you work all the way through all the, all the dreams and all the goals. And then you come right back to where your roots are. And that's, that's what this park is forever. I honestly thought it was going to be in California since I spent the first 60 years there um, in Northern California and Southern California. But then I got to meet Carol Wood, who is my wife when we were working together in LA. And she's from North Carolina. So she introduced me to North Carolina and that was it. This is the place. Huh. Now, have you started, I think I saw that you, you're starting construction and then any estimate yeah, we, on when it might open? some clearing of the railroad track. Okay. Yeah. And it's uh, it 2000. It used to be a dairy farm. Oh, okay. 2019. And what's interesting is, you know, most dairy farms are rolling hills of grass. This was a forest, and uh, the the fell of the family was through generations. A family had uh, twelve, I think, uh, eight eight or ten kids, and two of the kids moved into other parts of the park or other parts of the land and built their own houses and you know ra- built modern dairy barns and so forth. And and then they've all since passed away. And actually, what I want to do is do a little honor to, it's the Lindley family that used to live there. I'm going to do a little scene on our little soapbox derby that is crashing through the barn and the chicken coop and the whole fun thing. Yeah, and I think that's what I, what people like about Disney is the, the story and the tributes and the, the theming that, as opposed to, you know, some parks, like you're saying, you know, where it's, it's just... You know, they put in a... Yeah, they bolt down a ride. Yeah, they bolt down a ride to the cement, and then they say, okay, we got a new ride this year. And there's and then the next year, they bolt down another one. But there's no... I don't know. It's not the experience from the beginning of the queue all the way through to the end where they've where you want to come back again and again because you can see the detail that's been put in there. What I was able to do was to take all these dreams that I had for Bobland and convert them to North Carolina's heritage because it's just full of stories, ghost stories and wonderful things. Um, moonshiners, you know, you name it, just goes on and on and on. Gem mines. And ironically, I was able to meet Wallace Simpson, who built these wonderful whirly gigs out in Wilson, uh, east of Raleigh. And, uh, I met him and we chatted for a while and I bought one of his whirly gigs and, and he's since passed away. But um, that's kind of the tribute to Wallace because whirly gigs he, that he created became the official folk art of North Carolina. In our case, it's, it's actually the contraptions that operate the different rides and gizmos and things. Our, we have a little miniature golf course where every hole is a different contraption, like a whirly gig or something. And um, they're all challenges, kind of like the game Mousetrap was. 
Oh yeah, those are, yeah, very cool. So, can you explain kind of what a whirly gig is for the listeners who who might not know? A whirly gig is a device that spins in the wind, and in our case, uh, they're going to be very colorful, very whimsical. They're going to they're going to make things operate and move. And, um, and we may even, I hope, take it to the next level where it becomes an alternative energy source for us. The whirly gigs that are a showpiece are actually going to be powering some of the attractions. Now, that's that's kind of a pie-in-the-sky thing, but I'm, I'm trying to get that to work. So, Bob, if people wanted to find out more about what you're doing or maybe what you've done, more about you, where can they go to find out more? BobBaronick.com has my portfolio, basically. Um, we have a page for Whirly Gig Woods, but we haven't developed it yet until we're a little more concrete. We're, we're still trying to pull together the entire investment, understand how big opening day scope of work is going to be, and then that will drive actually when opening day is going to be. And we'll go from there. We have a 10-year master plan, but my intention is to spread it out as much as possible and have it be the theme park that grows rather than, boom, it's all there on opening day. All right. So I will go right here and wrap up the show. I'd like to thank Pixie Vacations for sponsoring the podcast. If you have comments or questions, those can be sent to us at comments at mousechat.net. If you enjoy listening to the shows, you can find more of those over at iTunes and also at mousechat.net. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Bob, for joining us. Thank you so much. And everyone, please join us again next time on Mouse Chat.